Chapter Thirty Nine, Part One of Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit by Charles Dickens. Chapter Thirty Nine, containing some further particulars of the domestic economy of the Pinches, with strange news from the city. Narrowly concerning Tom. Part One. Pleasant little Ruth, cheerful, tidy, bustling, quiet little Ruth. No doll's house ever yielded greater delight to its young mistress than little Ruth derived from her glorious dominion over the triangular parlor and the two small bedrooms. To be Tom's housekeeper, what dignity! Housekeeping upon the commonest terms associated itself with elevated responsibilities of all sorts and kinds, but housekeeping for Tom implied the utmost complication of grave trusts and mighty charges. Well might she take the keys out of the little chiffonier which held the tea and sugar, and out of the two little damp cupboards down by the fireplace where the very black beetles got mouldy, and had the shine taken out of their backs by envious mildew and jingle them upon a ring before Tom's eyes when he came down to breakfast. Well might she, laughing musically, put them up in that blessed little pocket of hers with a merry pride, for it was such a grand novelty to be mistress of anything, that if she had been the most relentless and despotic of all little housekeepers, she might have pleaded just that much for her excuse, and have been honourably acquitted. So far from being despotic, however, there was a coyness about her very way of pouring out the tea, which Tom quite reveled in, and when she asked him what he would like to have for dinner, and faltered out chops as a reasonably good suggestion after their last night's successful supper, Tom grew quite facetious, and rallied her desperately. "'I don't know, Tom,' said his sister, blushing. I am not quite confident, but I think I could make a beefsteak pudding if I tried, Tom. In the whole catalogue of cookery, there is nothing I should like so much as a beefsteak pudding, cried Tom, slapping his leg to give the greater force to this reply. Yes, dear, that's excellent. But if it should happen not to come quite right the first time, his sister faltered, if it should happen not to be a pudding exactly, but should turn out a stew or a soup or something of that sort, "'You'll not be vexed, Tom, will you?' The serious way in which she looked at Tom, the way in which Tom looked at her, and the way in which she gradually broke into a merry laugh at her own expense would have enchanted you. "'Why,' said Tom, "'this is capital. It gives us a new and quite an uncommon interest in the dinner. We put into a lottery for a beefsteak pudding, and it is impossible to say what we may get.' We may make some wonderful discovery, perhaps, and produce such a dish as never was known before. "'I shall not be at all surprised if we do, Tom,' returned his sister, still laughing merrily, "'or if it should prove to be such a dish as we shall not feel very anxious to produce again. But the meat must come out of the saucepan at last, somehow or other, you know. We can't cook it into nothing at all. That's a great comfort. So if you like to venture, I will.' "'I have not the least doubt,' rejoined Tom, "'that it will come out an excellent pudding, "'or at all events I am sure that I shall think it so. "'There is naturally something so handy and brisk about you, Ruth, "'that if you said you could make a bowl of faultless turtle soup, "'I should believe you.' "'And Tom was right. "'She was precisely that sort of person. 
Nobody ought to have been able to resist her coaxing manner, and nobody had any business to try. Yet she never seemed to know it was her manner at all. That was the best of it. Well, she washed up the breakfast cups, chatting away the whole time, and telling Tom all sorts of anecdotes about the brass and copper founder, put everything in its place, made the room as neat as herself. You must not suppose its shape was half as neat as hers, though, or anything like it. And brushed Tom's old hat round and round and round again until it was as sleek as Mr. Pecksniff. Then she discovered all in a moment that Tom's shirt collar was frayed at the edge, and flying upstairs for a needle and thread came flying down again with her thimble on, and set it right with wonderful expertness, never once sticking the needle into his face, although she was humming his pet tune from first to last, and beating time with the fingers of her left hand upon his neckcloth. She had no sooner done this than off she was again, and there she stood once more, as brisk and busy as a bee. "'tying that compact little chin of hers into an equally compact little bonnet, "'intent on bustling out to the butcher's without a minute's loss of time, "'and inviting Tom to come and see the steak cut with his own eyes. "'As to Tom, he was ready to go anywhere. "'So off they trotted, arm in arm, as nimbly as you please, "'saying to each other what a quiet street it was to lodge in, "'and how very cheap, and what an airy situation.' To see the butcher slap the steak before he laid it on the block, and give his knife a sharpening, was to forget breakfast instantly. It was agreeable, too, it really was, to see him cut it off, so smooth and juicy. There was nothing savage in the act, although the knife was large and keen. It was a piece of art, high art. There was delicacy of touch, clearness of tone, skillful handling of the subject, fine shading. It was the triumph of mind over matter, quite. Perhaps the greenest cabbage leaf ever grown in a garden was wrapped about this steak before it was delivered over to Tom, but the butcher had a sentiment for his business and knew how to refine upon it. When he saw Tom putting the cabbage leaf into his pocket awkwardly, he begged to be allowed to do it for him, for meat, he said with some emotion, must be humoured, not drove. Back they went to the lodgings again, after they had bought some eggs and flour and such small matters, and Tom sat gravely down to write at one end of the parlour table, while Ruth prepared to make the pudding at the other end, for there was nobody in the house but an old woman, the landlord being a mysterious sort of man who went out early in the morning and was scarcely ever seen, and saving in mere household drudgery, they waited on themselves. "'What are you writing, Tom?' inquired his sister." "'laying her hand upon his shoulder. "'Why, you see, my dear,' said Tom, "'leaning back in his chair and looking up in her face, "'I am very anxious, of course, to obtain some suitable employment, "'and before Mr. Westlock comes this afternoon, "'I think I may as well prepare a little description of myself "'and my qualifications, such as he could show to any friend of his. "'You had better do the same for me, Tom, also,' said his sister, "'casting down her eyes.' "'I should dearly like to keep house for you and take care of you always, Tom, but we are not rich enough for that.' "'We are not rich,' returned Tom, certainly, and we may be much poorer. But we will not part if we can help it. No, no, we will make up our minds, Ruth, that unless we are so very unfortunate as to render me quite sure that you would be better off away from me than with me, we will battle it out together. I am certain we shall be happier if we can battle it out together. Don't you think we shall?' "'Think, Tom.' "'Oh, tut-tut,' interposed Tom tenderly. "'You mustn't cry.' 
"'No, no, I won't, Tom, but you can't afford it, dear, you can't, indeed.' "'We don't know that,' said Tom. "'How are we to know that, yet a while, and without trying? "'Lord bless my soul!' Tom's energy became quite grand. "'There is no knowing what may happen if we try hard, "'and I am sure we can live contentedly upon a very little, "'if we can only get it.' "'Yes, that I am sure we can, Tom.' "'Why, then,' said Tom, "'we must try for it. "'My friend John Westlock is a capital fellow, "'and very shrewd and intelligent. "'I'll take his advice. "'We'll talk it over with him, both of us together. "'You'll like John very much when you come to know him, I am certain. "'Don't cry, don't cry. "'You make a beefsteak pudding indeed,' said Tom, "'giving her a gentle push. "'Well, you haven't boldness enough for a dumpling.' "'You will call it a pudding, Tom. "'Mind, I told you not.' "'I may as well call it that, till it proves to be something else,' said Tom. "'Oh, you are going to work in earnest, are you?' "'Ay, ay, that she was. "'And in such pleasant earnest, moreover, that Tom's attention wandered from his writing every moment. First, she tripped downstairs into the kitchen for the flour, "'then for the pie-board, then for the eggs, then for the butter, "'then for a jug of water, then for the rolling-pin, "'then for a pudding-basin, then for the pepper, then for the salt, "'making a separate journey for everything, and laughing every time she started off afresh. "'When all the materials were collected, she was horrified to find she had no apron on, "'and so ran upstairs, by way of variety, to fetch it. "'She didn't put it on upstairs, but came dancing down with it in her hand, "'and being one of those little women to whom an apron is a most becoming little vanity, "'it took an immense time to arrange, having to be carefully smoothed down beneath "'Oh, heavens, what a wicked little stomacher! "'And to be gathered up into little plates by the strings before it could be tied, "'and to be tapped, rebuked, and wheedled at the pockets before it would set right. "'Which at last it did, and when it did—never mind, this is a sober chronicle. "'And then there were her cuffs to be tucked up, for fear of flour, "'and she had a little ring to pull off her finger, which wouldn't come off, foolish little ring.' And during the whole of these preparations she looked demurely every now and then at Tom from under her dark eyelashes, as if they were all a part of the pudding and indispensable to its composition. For the life and soul of him Tom could get no further in his writing than a respectable young man aged thirty-five, and this, notwithstanding the show she made of being supernaturally quiet and going about on tiptoe lest she should disturb him, which only served as an additional means of distracting his attention and keeping it upon her. "'Tom,' she said at last, in high glee, "'Tom!' "'What now?' said Tom, repeating to himself, aged thirty-five. "'Will you look here a moment, please?' "'As if he hadn't been looking all the time.' "'I am going to begin, Tom. "'Don't you wonder why I butter the inside of the basin?' said his busy little sister." "'Not more than you do, I dare say,' replied Tom, laughing, "'for I believe you don't know anything about it.' "'What an infidel you are, Tom! "'How else do you think it would turn out easily when it was done? "'For a civil engineer and land surveyor not to know that! "'My goodness, Tom!' "'It was wholly out of the question to try to write. "'Tom lined out, respectable young man, aged thirty-five, "'and sat looking on, pen in hand, "'with one of the most loving smiles imaginable.' Such a busy little woman as she was, so full of self-importance and trying so hard not to smile or seem uncertain about anything. It was a perfect treat to Tom to see her with her brows knit and her rosy lips pursed up, kneading away at the crust, 
rolling it out, cutting it up into strips, lining the basin with it, shaving it off fine round the rim, chopping up the steak into small pieces, raining down pepper and salt upon them, packing them into the basin, pouring in cold water for gravy, and never venturing to steal a look in his direction, lest her gravity should be disturbed. Until at last the basin, being quite full and only wanting the top crust, she clapped her hands, all covered with paste and flour, at Tom, and burst out heartily into such a charming little laugh of triumph that the pudding need have had no other seasoning to commend it to the taste of any reasonable man on earth. "'Where's the pudding?' said Tom, for he was cutting his jokes, Tom was. "'Where?' she answered, holding it up with both hands. "'Look at it.' "'That a pudding?' said Tom. "'It will be, you stupid fellow, when it's covered in,' returned his sister, Tom still pretending to look incredulous. She gave him a tap on the head with the rolling-pin, and still laughing merrily had returned to the composition of the top crust, when she started and turned very red. Tom started, too, for following her eyes he saw John Westlock in the room. "'Why, my goodness, John, how did you come in?' "'I beg pardon,' said John, "'your sister's pardon especially. But I met an old lady at the street door who requested me to enter here, and as you didn't hear me knock and the door was open, I made bold to do so.' "'I hardly know,' said John, with a smile, "'why any of us should be disconcerted at my having accidentally intruded upon such an agreeable domestic occupation, so very agreeably and skilfully pursued.' "'but I must confess that I am, Tom. "'Will you kindly come to my relief?' "'Mr. John Westlock,' said Tom, "'my sister.' "'I hope that as the sister of so old a friend,' said John, laughing, "'you will have the goodness to detach your first impressions of me "'from my unfortunate entrance. "'My sister is not indisposed, perhaps, "'to say the same to you on her own behalf,' retorted Tom. John said, of course, that this was quite unnecessary, for he had been transfixed in silent admiration, and he held out his hand to Miss Pinch, who couldn't take it, however, by reason of the flour and paste upon her own. This, which might seem calculated to increase the general confusion and render matters worse, had, in reality, the best effect in the world, for neither of them could help laughing, and so they both found themselves on easy terms immediately. "'I am delighted to see you,' said Tom. "'Sit down.' "'I can only think of sitting down on one condition,' returned his friend, "'and that is that your sister goes on with the pudding, as if you were still alone.' "'That I am sure she will,' said Tom, "'on one other condition, and that is that you stay and help us to eat it.' Poor little Ruth was seized with a palpitation of the heart when Tom committed this appalling indiscretion, for she felt that if the dish turned out a failure, she never would be able to hold up her head before John Westlock again. Quite unconscious of her state of mind, John accepted the invitation with all imaginable heartiness, and after a little more pleasantry concerning this same pudding, and the tremendous expectations he made believe to entertain of it, she blushingly resumed her occupation, and he took a chair. "'I am here much earlier than I intended, Tom,' "'But I will tell you what brings me, and I think I can answer for your being glad to hear it. "'Is that anything you wish to show me?' "'Oh, dear, no,' cried Tom, who had forgotten the blotted scrap of paper in his hand, "'until this inquiry brought it to his recollection. "'A respectable young man, aged thirty-five. "'The beginning of a description of myself, that's all.' "'I don't think you will have occasion to finish it, Tom. "'But how is it you never told me you had friends in London?' 
Tom looked at his sister with all his might, and certainly his sister looked with all her might at him. "'Friends in London?' echoed Tom. "'Ah!' said Westlock, "'to be sure.' "'Have you any friends in London, Ruth, my dear?' asked Tom. "'No, Tom. I am very happy to hear that I have,' said Tom, "'but it's news to me. I never knew it. They must be capital people to keep a secret, John.' "'You shall judge for yourself,' returned the other. "'Seriously, Tom, here is the plain state of the case. "'As I was sitting at breakfast this morning, there comes a knock at my door.' "'On which you cried out very loud, "'Come in!' suggested Tom. "'So I did. "'And the person who knocked, not being a respectable young man aged thirty-five from the country, "'came in when he was invited, instead of standing gaping and staring about him on the landing.' "'Well, when he came in, I found he was a stranger, "'a grave, business-like, sedate-looking stranger. "'Mr. Westlock,' said he. "'That is my name,' said I. "'The favour of a few words with you,' said he. "'Pray be seated, sir,' said I. "'Here John stopped for an instant to glance towards the table, "'where Tom's sister, listening attentively, "'was still busy with the basin, "'which by this time made a noble appearance. "'Then he resumed.' "'The pudding having taken a chair, Tom—' "'What?' cried Tom. "'Having taken a chair, you said a pudding.' "'No, no,' replied John, colouring rather. "'A chair. "'The idea of a stranger coming into my rooms at half-past eight o'clock in the morning and taking a pudding. "'Having taken a chair, Tom, a chair, amazed me by opening the conversation thus. "'I believe you are acquainted, sir, with Mr. Thomas Pinch.' "'No,' cried Tom. "'His very words, I assure you. I told him I was. "'Did I know where you were at present residing? Yes. "'In London? Yes. "'He had casually heard, in a roundabout way, "'that you had left your situation with Mr. Pecksniff. "'Was that the fact? Yes, it was. "'Did you want another? Yes, you did. "'Certainly,' said Tom, nodding his head. "'Just what I impressed upon him. "'You may rest assured that I set that point beyond the possibility of any mistake, "'and gave him distinctly to understand that he might make up his mind about it. "'Very well. "'Then,' said he, "'I think I can accommodate him.' "'Tom's sister stopped short. "'Lord, bless me!' cried Tom. "'Ruth, my dear, think I can accommodate him.' "'Of course I begged him,' pursued John Westlock, "'glancing at Tom's sister, "'who was not less eager in her interest than Tom himself.' "'to proceed, and said that I would undertake to see you immediately.' "'He replied that he had very little to say, being a man of few words, "'but such as it was, it was to the purpose, and so, indeed, it turned out, "'for he immediately went on to tell me that a friend of his "'was in want of a kind of secretary and librarian, "'and that although the salary was small, being only a hundred pounds a year, "'with neither board nor lodging, still the duties were not heavy,' "'and there the post was, vacant and ready for your acceptance.' "'Good gracious me!' cried Tom. "'A hundred pounds a year! "'My dear John! "'Ruth, my love, a hundred pounds a year!' "'But the strangest part of the story,' resumed John Westlock, "'laying his hand on Tom's wrist, "'to bespeak his attention and repress his ecstasies for the moment, "'the strangest part of the story, Miss Pinch, is this. "'I don't know this man from Adam. "'Neither does this man know Tom.' "'He can't,' said Tom, in great perplexity. "'If he's a Londoner, I don't know anyone in London.' "'And on my observing,' John resumed, still keeping his hand upon Tom's wrist, 
that I had no doubt he would excuse the freedom I took in inquiring who directed him to me, how he came to know of the change which had taken place in my friend's position, and how he came to be acquainted with my friend's peculiar fitness for such an office as he had described, he dryly said that he was not at liberty to enter into any explanations. "'Not at liberty to enter into any explanations,' repeated Tom, drawing a long breath. "'I must be perfectly aware,' he said, John added, "'that to any person who had ever been in Mr. Pecksniff's neighbourhood, "'Mr. Thomas Pinch and his acquirements were as well known as the church steeple or the blue dragon.' "'The blue dragon,' repeated Tom, staring alternately at his friend and his sister. "'Aye, think of that. He spoke as familiarly of the blue dragon, I give you my word, as if he had been Mark Tapley. "'I opened my eyes, I can tell you, when he did so. But I could not fancy I had ever seen the man before, although he said with a smile, "'You know the blue dragon, Mr. Westlock. You kept it up there once or twice yourself.' kept it up there. So I did. You remember, Tom?' Tom nodded with great significance, and, falling into a state of deeper perplexity than before, observed that this was the most unaccountable and extraordinary circumstance he had ever heard of in his life. "'Unaccountable,' his friend repeated. "'I became afraid of the man. Though it was broad day and bright sunshine, I was positively afraid of him. I declare I half suspected him to be a supernatural visitor and not a mortal.' until he took out a commonplace description of pocket-book, and handed me this card. "'Mr. Phipps,' said Tom, reading it aloud, "'Austin Friars.' "'Austin Friars sounds ghostly, John.' "'Phipps don't, I think,' was John's reply. "'But there he lives, Tom, and there he expects us to call this morning. And now you know as much of this strange incident as I do, upon my honour. Tom's face, between his exultation in the hundred pounds a year and his wonder at this narration, was only to be equalled by the face of his sister, on which there sat the very best expression of blooming surprise that any painter could have wished to see. What the beefsteak pudding would have come to, if it had not been by this time finished, astrology itself could hardly determine. "'Tom,' said Ruth, after a little hesitation, Perhaps Mr. Westlock, in his friendship for you, knows more of this than he chooses to tell. "'No, indeed,' cried John eagerly. "'It is not so, I assure you. I wish it were. I cannot take credit to myself, Miss Pinch, for any such thing. All that I know, or so far as I can judge am likely to know, I have told you.' "'Couldn't you know more if you thought proper?' said Ruth, scraping the pie-board industriously. "'No,' retorted John. "'Indeed, no.' "'It is very ungenerous in you to be so suspicious of me "'when I repose implicit faith in you. "'I have unbounded confidence in the pudding, Miss Pinch.' "'She laughed at this, but they soon got back into a serious vein "'and discussed the subject with profound gravity. "'Whatever else was obscure in the business, "'it appeared to be quite plain "'that Tom was offered a salary of one hundred pounds a year, "'and this, being the main point, the surrounding obscurity rather set it off than otherwise. End of chapter 39, part 1